0: want to just pass on a hearty good morning to you as well Christ community and i was so moved by watching the uh, mission video um, that video is on our uh the sovereign grace church's website um, so you can watch that again if you desire to and also um, in that uh In that blog, in in the video, there's also, Mark Prater asked me to write a blog post, which I wrote, um, and it's attached to the video on the Sovereign Race website. The reason I bring that up, uh, I don't don't care if anybody reads it except you all. I I would desire for you all to read it, because I talk about you in that blog post. My one uh, stipulation when Mark asked me to write it was... um, if our church picture could be the profile, um, our 15 year anniversary picture, which was also in the video, is, uh, is, is at the head of the, the blog post and in there, Christ community, I was talking about how blessed I am to be a part of this church and to watch the Lord working in our midst. It really is marvelous in my eyes and I'm just so thankful to God for you. And um, I'll just say this. Uh, you're the kind of church that makes a man who cannot walk beg to come to church. He wants to be around you. So much so that he's been in tears around the hospital staff over at the Reading. Rehabilitation Hospital. I've had the pleasure of visiting him and Esther and Jessica over there and watching the grace of God on their lives. But he has pled in tears to try to get to church. He tried to get to church last week and they fought him. And uh, he won this week. And uh, there's two things that stand out to me there. It's what an example Lewis and Esther and Jessica are of their desire to be amongst the people of God in the midst of suffering. Thank you for your example. It moves me. That's how I want to be. Thank you for your example. It's touching our church family. It's touching our lives. And Christ Community Church, thank you for the example you are as a local church. The the light of Jesus Christ shines off of you so vibrantly that it's touching the hearts of many. And I'm just so proud to be a member here, proud to be an under-shepherd here, proud to be a part of this local church. Thank you for your generous giving to the work in Croatia, particularly what Mario was talking about in that mission video it's not it doesn't happen humanly speaking without a group of saints like you who are passionate about the worldwide expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ and well i got to be careful you know it's an emotional sunday and i feel so moved but moved most of all at jesus in this passage and i'm looking forward to seeing him together by the power of the Holy Spirit through this passage. So let's look at Matthew chapter twenty. Because all of this is as Ben mentioned, it's it's from him and through him and to him. Not to us, not to us. But to your name, Lord, be the glory. We are just wretched sinners saved by His mercy. And that's the title of the message this morning. Lord, have mercy on us. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 17 and through to the end of the chapter. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside and on the way He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Well, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit One at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They, speaking of the men, said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave." even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes And immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you so much for Jesus, your Son, the Prophet, the Redeemer, the Sight Restorer. Lord, we are here this morning because of your work in our lives and we just thank you so much for doing what you've done in us. Lord, I pray you would touch our hearts with even greater passion for Jesus Christ, your Son, this morning. Holy Spirit, move in us, fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might love Christ even more passionately than we do right now. I pray that we would trust in Jesus even more deeply than we do right now. Lord, I pray that we would turn from our sins And trust in Christ with an even more steadfast devotion than we are right now. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just uh, by way of introduction here, this transition here that's taking place here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, where it says in verse 17, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He's, he's heading through the old ruins of Jericho, which is about 14 miles away. It's at the uh, tip of the Dead Sea. And, and from the elevation point of a thousand feet below sea level, all the way then up to Jerusalem, you're talking about the difference of about 3,500 feet of ascension. They literally were going up to Jerusalem. Everybody from all directions went up. To Jerusalem. It was higher in elevation than the plains around. And so Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And most likely what's taking place here is the people and the crowds are beginning to move toward Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover celebration. And so there's this migration that's taking place out from the suburbs, if you will, heading into the city. And they're climbing and they're ascending in to elevation. And As the crowds were increasing and as the the hustle toward Jerusalem is beginning to take place, Jesus, in a private moment, pulls the disciples aside. And he says something to them. And the first point this morning is prophet. Prophet. The second point is redeemer. Redeemer. And the third point is sight restorer. Sight restorer. Let's look at prophet. He says something to them here. He says, he pulls them aside in the midst of the hustle and bustle, and he says something privately. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over. Here he prophesies. Before it happens, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus, the titles amongst the titles, all the titles that he has Three of the greatest are Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. You may have heard those three titles. Here we see Jesus as prophet. Really the most specific prophecy uttered about the sufferings of the Messiah are from the Messiah, Jesus Christ Himself. He prophesies of His sufferings and His death by crucifixion specifically. He prophesies about the fact that He's going to be flogged He prophesies that he's going to be mocked and handed over to the Gentiles. And he prophesies also gloriously that he's going to be raised on the third day. I can't wait to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with you next week. I can't wait to enter into prayer with you this Holy Thursday as we go before the Lord in prayer and remember the agonies of Gethsemane together. I'm really looking forward to praying as John leads us that night on Holy Thursday at the church house. I'm really looking forward to our Good Friday service this week, which was particularly a real burden from Ben this year, and I'm so thankful that Ben will be preaching the gospel to us that evening, because he's going to talk to us, he's going to preach to us about what Jesus himself is prophesying to his disciples here in this passage, that He's going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Brothers and sisters, whenever Jesus talks about His suffering, it's it's in the plural when it talks about His passion. It's the sufferings of Christ. And I'm not going to get too extensively into it because I'm going to touch on it a little bit more next Sunday morning during Resurrection Sunday. But this This trifold description of mocked and flogged and crucified, brothers and sisters, is so, so descriptive of the agonies of Calvary. Christ suffered, and the reason He suffered, we sung this morning, it was my sin that held Him there on the cross. Christ became your sin bearer. And my sin bearer, when you think of the agonies, when you think of the brutality, it is a picture of what my sins and yours deserve. What's amazing here is that Jesus knows this is coming. He knows, we don't know the hour of our death. Jesus knows that not only is He going to die, but He's also going to suffer excruciating agonies on Calvary. And yet, as the Word of God says in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus resolutely set His face toward Jerusalem. He was on a mission. Christ turned His eyes toward Jerusalem and they were heading up toward Jerusalem because He had a purpose and His purpose was to suffer and die for us in order to save us and don't you marvel don't you marvel at the goodness of jesus don't you marvel at the goodness of god who would love us so much to send his son to die for us while we were still sinners how glorious of a salvation this is but he prophesies of his sufferings and his death. And he prophesies gloriously of being raised on the third day. And, brothers and sisters, this prophecy was fulfilled. And we get to celebrate that next week. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to dip into that passage in more specifics next week. But let us remember. Jesus as prophet, prophesying the very details of His own sufferings and death and resurrection. And He was the good prophet who laid down His life for us. He is the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man and prophet, priest, and king. And we get a glimpse of Him there as prophet. He prophesies of His sufferings, of His passion, numerous times throughout the Gospel. This is the last time He prophesies this before he actually goes through and suffers the agonies of Calvary for us. Thank you, Jesus. Turning to point two, Redeemer. Let's look at this section again. (laughs) Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. (laughs) Most likely what's happening here is the sons of Zebedee, it's reported elsewhere in the Gospels that the mother of the sons of Zebedee was actually the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. And that the sons of Zebedee James and John, were actually first cousins to Jesus. So this is his aunt coming up to him and appealing for her sons for a position of power and greatness. What hits me so hard here is he just got done talking about his sufferings and you're talking about things of great import, eternal import, just huge magnitude, and the great sacrifice, the sufferings that he's going to undergo to save them from their sins. And and right afterwards, we have a mother coming up and appealing on behalf of her sons that they have a position of power. It affects me, just the, all the, the dynamics of Jesus' life here that he... He, he hears this request in the midst of anticipating his great sufferings, and I, I marvel at the patience of the Son of God in, in not only their life, but I marvel at his patience with me. I marvel that he always has time to hear us, hear our prayers, He is literally running the universe right now, and yet He cares about you. He cares about me. And this request here, compared to His work on the cross, seems so petty and trifling. And and yet He gives ear to it. it. It affects me that He gives ear to it. He He listens, and He answers. And He says, "You do not know what you're asking." Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now, he just described the cup that he was going to drink, the cup of his sufferings. And we know from Gethsemane when he says, it, it, The cup is so bitter that he, he pleads with his father that evening Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. This, the, the cup of God's wrath is what that represents. The sufferings that Jesus went through through the agonies of Calvary represented the wrath of God toward our sins, brothers and sisters. Really the full measure of what you and I would have experienced forever in hell. That wrath, that righteous wrath, that holy wrath, that just wrath was compiled into a cup of suffering. Jesus suffered worse than any other human being has ever suffered. And He's saying to them, can you drink the cup that I am to drink? They're thinking of greatness. They're thinking of seats of prominence. The mother's coming forward and saying, hey, can they sit on your right and left? It's about honor. It's about exaltation. And Jesus is on a totally different wavelength. He's, He's thinking of humiliation, dishonor, shame. Brothers and sisters, He didn't come sitting on a throne of prominence. He came dying on a cross of shame. And you can't help but to see the contrast here of just the way our human hearts work. By nature, we're climbers. We want to ascend, but here we see the Son of God saying, I'm going to descend. I'm going to suffer. Do you understand that? you remember what I just said to you? With with patience, with love, with compassion. Are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? And James and John said to Jesus, we are able. Now they, in this moment, moving toward Jesus with mom probably pulling them and saying, hey, I got this, I'll, I'll talk with them. two men as they're posed with this question with great confidence in themselves and with a spirit most likely defined by self-reliant pride I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere I can do it Jesus, we're able this is a description of the self-confidence of man anything you got I'm capable of it. This is not a description of humility. Yet Jesus here meets this expression of self-reliant pride with grace. He actually says to them, you will drink my cup. What he's talking about here is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to change these men. James and John are going to go from this moment here of, of, of clamoring for seats of prominence to actually taking up the cross and following Jesus. They are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, going to become such servants of the Lord, not in a self-reliant, I'm able, pride, but due to just the humiliation of following Christ and, and really being poured out upon them, the Holy Spirit is going to empower them to indeed suffer. As they follow Jesus. James in Acts chapter 12 is one of the very first ones martyred. He would indeed drink the cup of suffering, befitting to a follower of Jesus Christ. John would live to experience the isolation. Of exile on the Isle of Patmos, writing the book of Revelation. But that also, brothers and sisters, even though it wasn't a martyr's death, was a pathway of suffering. And Jesus knowing every detail about our lives and knowing every detail about the lives of these two men who in this very moment are standing there in self reliant pride, saying, Yeah, we're able, we're able to drink the cup that you're going to drink. You think about that, just in, in that moment, just the arrogance to, you know, Jesus is talking about he's going to suffer and die for their sins on the cross and he's he's going to experience being mocked and flogged and crucified and they're saying, yeah, we can do that. And instead, he doesn't meet this moment of self-reliant pride. You know what Jesus could have said right here? Uh, you know what? Actually, uh, not You are going to abandon me and flee, leaving your clothes behind to get away from suffering, any suffering at all, on the night I'm betrayed. I'm going to be all alone. And you two sons of thunder are going to be long gone. But he doesn't meet them with that truth, he meets them with grace. He tells them, You are indeed going to suffer. You're going to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. We are, as brothers and sisters in Christ, called, as Philippians talks about, member men and women with our Bible study, to share in the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We are called to share in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And that will take on many different forms. Some of us perhaps a martyrs' death like James. Some of us a life that's long lived on this earth, but it will not be without its cup of following Jesus Christ truly. And being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to bring a carrying of the cross. Any true disciple is a man or a woman who is carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. They are drinking the cup. That is something that we should look at our brothers and sisters and we should hold them in honor. We should pray for them. We should hold them up because as they are walking through their lives here on this earth, Our dear brothers and sisters all over the world are suffering, the same sufferings we suffer, and we must hold them up in prayer as they are. But I am so moved by how Jesus meets their self-reliant pride with an attestation of you will indeed do this for me. You're going to be beheaded, James. You don't know that yet, but I do. And I'll be there with you. John, you're going to be isolated and all alone in exile in Patmos, and you're going to see glorious things. You're going to write the book of Revelation, but you are going to feel that all of your brothers who are walking with us now on the way to Jerusalem, they're all going to be martyred by then. You'll be the last one there alone in an isolation, and I'll be there with you every single angle you can look at, every possible fear you could have of how you might suffer on this earth. Brothers and sisters, I have comfort for you. Jesus is going to be there with you. Precious Jesus, who in the moments where I stand up in my self-reliant pride and say, yeah, God, I'm able. says, CB, no, you're not. And He could say that to me and just shut me down, but... Instead, you know the posture of our God? He's going to give a reward for every cup of cold water that we've ever given in his name. You talk about grace. You talk about compassion. You talk about pity. You talk about, talk about look at all of our failings and all of our weaknesses. And he looks at us and it's like we could do no wrong. All he sees is the good. And he says, you will indeed drink my cup. He says, but to sit at my right hand and my left is, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And then when the ten hear it, so there goes mom with the two sons up there. Hey, let's let's jockey in and get in position here and get my boys the place of prominence, and the other ten are standing there. They wanted it just as much. And when they see, they saw them trying to manipulate Jesus with mom. She gets down on her knees and implores Jesus. This was a tactic often used in this culture to to give great credence to the magnificence of the position in order to tempt the individual to be magnanimous and say, I will grant you your request. Great kings of this time would often do this. They delighted in their power and delighted in bequeathing a request as a gesture of their power similar to Herod when John the Baptist was martyred and killed when he desired to do a favor and said, hey, anything you want, just name it, I'll do it for you. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist and he granted it. This, she's coming before him and she's pleading with him to do something for her sons. And Jesus here uses it to teach a lesson. The other ten were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him. He used this moment where pride's being manifested in one hand with self-reliance of James and John and They don't have in mind the true issues of the kingdom. Jesus is talking about his sufferings and death, and they're talking about seats of prominence. And you just think, if there's ever a time where Jesus would have just been tempted, listen, guys, I don't got time for this. But he's got time. He hears. He listens patiently. He answers. When the ten heard it, they're indignant. So they're responding to the pride of the two, With their own form of pride. They're indignant. They're disgusted by this uh, grasping for power. Not because they didn't want power for themselves. Because they wanted greatness as well. But simply because they were jockeyed into position. And in a better place to actually get that power. And they were jealous. They were indignant. They weren't operating according to the spirit either. And here Jesus. Just just look at this moment. This is why we needed a savior brothers and sisters. This is why Jesus came to die. It's an illustration of the pride of men and our lust for power and prominence. And Jesus called them to him and said this, how tenderly, how gracious. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. This was the leadership style of the time in that culture, that the lords literally lorded down, that's the expression, over the people. And the Jews feared the rule of their governor and the Roman Empire because they literally were oppressed by the authority. It wasn't a government that was gracious and merciful, and it was a government that lorded it over. And that was a very common expression. And their great ones exercise authority. This is literally play the tyrant. This is how they are. They, 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 they lord over and they play the tyrant. And Jesus says, It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Those two words. That word servant is the very word used with diakonos, which is uh, what Ben touched on a few weeks back when we were talking about deacons. It's a posture of a servant's heart, being willing to do menial tasks, not to be a climber, but to actually descend, to take on the position of a servant, like Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he Took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. This is what this is speaking of here. Jesus is teaching them. Verse twenty-seven. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. This word here, doulos in the Greek, is a bond servant. This is you are a bond slave. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your life is not your own. To do whatever you desire to do with it. Your life is Christ's and your life also is Christ's people's. We are to be one another's servants. We are to be one another's slaves. This is not language that we're comfortable with, even in our culture. But Jesus is saying, if you want true greatness in my kingdom, this is what you should be ambitious for. This is what you should strive after. Can you excel in serving, can you embrace the call of a bond servant, of a bond slave? Can you embrace verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave? We know we're the slaves of Christ as true Christians, but do we have a mindset with our brothers and sisters? Like Jesus in John 13 of, it is my honor to get down on my knees and wash your feet. To serve you. Sherry Bridges, who went on to be with the Lord last year, said we all love the idea of servanthood as a concept. The problem is when people treat us like one. We don't like being treated as servants. We don't like being treated as slaves. But we, as the true followers of Christ, are called to embrace this call, brothers and sisters. And not just, oh yeah, that's nice, that's nice. Does this characterize our life? Are you not a climber, but a descender to be willing to do whatever God calls you to do? And not... Sitting on a seat of prominence, but doing whatever is required of you by your Lord. Let us be a church, not of climbers, but of descenders. Even as Christ, as he says here, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many this is such a precious description of the gospel and the son of man this great title from the book of daniel chapter 7 this description of the messiah that he is god and that he is man and that this messiah would be not what they were all expecting in this culture they were expecting a lion they were anticipating the jews and as they were anticipating the Messiah coming, and even the disciples were anticipating Jesus rising up to be a lion, what they didn't realize was that the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, was the one walking with them up on the way to Jerusalem. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to embrace the path of servanthood. You need to embrace the path of being a bond slave to me, but also to your brothers and sisters. And you need to embrace the path of the cross and not... Live your life seeking to be served, but to serve. Even as I am going to serve you by giving up my life as a ransom for many. This description of ransom is talking about the price paid to set us free. We sung about it this morning. What you need to understand is that in our fallenness and in our sin, every one of us, by nature, we are slaves to sin. We are, as the Scriptures say, we have been taken captive and we had been held captive by Satan to do his will. And we were also slaves to death. I want you to imagine being in the deepest, darkest dungeon that you can imagine with chains binding you that were so strong that you could have never broken out. The chains represent our slavery to sin. And when Christ laid down His life as a ransom, redeeming us, buying us out, of our slavery to sin, what He does is the chains fall off our hands. And we are no longer in the bondage to sin that we were once in. Having been taken captive by Satan to do His will, do you know what a ransom does there? The ransom is the price Jesus paid to God to set us free from all of the penalties that our sins deserve. We were in the darkest of dungeons and the chains fell off. And if you imagine Satan being there laughing and mocking at us and seeking to keep us in the dungeon, Jesus pays the ransom price to set us free to God His Father and Jesus walks into the prison crushes Satan's head, swings open the dungeon door, and delivers you out into the light forever. (sighs) Glorious Gospel. Triumphing over Him through the blood of the cross. Through His self-sacrifice. Being ransomed from your slavery to death. Brothers and sisters, not only were you in chains, your own sin, not only were you held in the dungeon, taken captive by Satan to do his will, completely blind, but you were awaiting the sentence of eternal condemnation that justly hung over your head. You were literally a slave to death. There was nothing about you or I that could be described as pertaining to life or life eternal. We were dead in our transgressions and sins and we were awaiting the judgment whereby we would have been judged And condemned not only would we have died once but we would have died what revelation describes as the second death we would have experienced the just condemnation of God against our sins forever in hell brothers and sisters and Jesus said no no I will go and I will suffer and bleed and die and my Father will raise me to new life again. I am going to serve in this way so that they are set free from the chains of their sin, so that they are delivered out underneath of the power and dominion of Satan taking them captive. I'm going to set them free from that. And I am also going to deliver them from their slavery to death. Because what is going to characterize these people after I'm done through conquering death, through the cross and rising from the dead, is I am going to forever put death out of their minds because I'm going to raise them on the last and final day and they will have life eternal. And that will begin the moment they believe in me. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a ransom. We have a ransom. We have a Redeemer who paid the price for our life to set us free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And brothers and sisters, following this Savior means not being like the world lusting after seats of prominence and fame and power and position and status, but saying rather, I'm going to follow my Savior and my Lord, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His own life as a ransom for me, to set me free from my sin and my chains, to set me free from being taken captive by Satan to do His will, to set me free from the eternal condemnation and death that my sins deserved so that I might receive eternal life. Oh, that's a price. That's a price that's been paid. And it's been paid in full. Hallelujah. Third and final point, we looked at prophet. We looked at redeemer. Let's look at sight restorer. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. He keeps pulling them aside privately, teaching them. But the crowds are moving, and they go through these ruins of Jericho. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, which you've got to understand is in this region in Jericho, there was a plant that grew that would help. Individuals with blindness is seen as a remedy during this time. So the blind would gather around Jericho. And it seems that there were hundreds of these blind men and women around this area here. And a couple of these men, they heard that Jesus was passing by. And brothers and sisters, they cry out. And what you need to understand is that these men had heard of the fame of Jesus and they, they understood and ascertained in that moment that He was just passing through. They cried out as two men who believed this was their last chance. There was an urgency in the heart cry of these two men. We know from the other Gospel account where uh, Bartimaeus, the one, is accented. Bartimaeus is amongst These two men and and his friend, no doubt, they're they're there and they are crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebukes them, but they would have none of it. They're telling them to be silent. But when you are down to your last chance, you don't care who's trying to stop you. You are going to cry out and your voice is going to be heard because you are in such desperation and such poverty of spirit and in such great need that you don't care what anybody's saying. You're saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, he cries out. And what you you can understand, look at verse 32. This is so glorious, brothers and sisters. He, as Luke chapter 9 describes, had set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He resolutely is walking up toward Jerusalem to suffer and die. Jesus is on his mission, his unstoppable mission, to suffer and die and rise again. To save us. But look at the grace in verse 32 and stopping. He stops. For them and brothers and sisters, He has stopped for you. Jesus called them. What amazing grace! He could have just passed by. but he called them. He stopped. He called them. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? There's the question of a true servant. He illustrates that he didn't come to be served, but to serve with this question to these two blind men. What do you want me to do for you? Look at the grace. Look at the love, the tenderness and the compassion of Jesus here. I love it. And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And I love verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Brothers and sisters, it's reported as I was studying this passage, this little detail just struck me and just blew me away. It's been reported that (laughs) blind Bartimaeus after this moment was blind no more. And he was a vibrant member of the early church. (laughs) How couldn't he be? When you're down to your last hope, Last chance, last call. And you've got no other hope but the one who's walking past you and you know. You've tried all the remedies in Jericho and no one has been able to bring healing to you. You've tried everything. You've gone to the doctors. You've tried everything else. And there's no healing available to you. And they walk and they hear that Jesus, who's been reported to be the son of David, is walking by. And they cry out like two starving men for mercy. Mercy. And we find that our God is not too busy for them, but rather takes pity on them. Our Jesus not only stops, not only calls them, but in pity, He touches their eyes, and immediately they recover their sight. Oh, happy, happy day. And they recovered their sight. And I love how that ends. And they followed Him. Every true Christian isn't only interested in what Jesus can do for them, but is also interested in following Him. It's been the title of our series in Matthew, Follow Me. They recovered their sight. And they followed Him. He is a sight restorer. He is one who stops and touches you at your point of need this morning. Won't you give Him your whole heart this morning, this merciful God, who's been calling out to you again and again and again. Won't you marvel this morning at how He has had pity upon you? Brothers and sisters, there were hundreds of blind men around Jericho this morning, but he stopped and he healed these two. Don't you see the connection, brothers and sisters, that there are millions of people all over the world right now, lost and dead in their sin, their eyes are blinded spiritually. And brothers and sisters, such would we have always been if God did not stop, if God did not touch you and save you, you would not be here. You are here, and I am here because of a miracle of God's grace, because God has stopped And God has come after you, and He has in pity touched you, and He has broken the chains, and He's delivered you out of the dungeon. And brothers and sisters, He has ransomed you out. He has ransomed your life out from the death and the second death that you deserve, so that now you have eternal life. What a glorious God! What a glorious gospel! Can we thank Him for being such an awesome God? My... My unbelieving friends, the only thing I would appeal is like these two blind men, it doesn't matter what anybody says to you, won't you cry out to God? Cry out to Jesus to have mercy on you this morning. Don't hold off a day longer and say, well, maybe tomorrow something will come along that will be better. No, nothing's going to come along any better than what's in front of your face right now, and that's Jesus Christ, and He's passing by you right now, and you don't know that you'll have another chance. Turn to Him and be saved this morning turn to Him and cry out as if it's your last chance. Lord, have mercy on me. He will stop. And He will touch you. And He will open up your eyes. And you will be amongst the saved in this room. You will be amongst those who praise God in this room who can tell you, hallelujah, what a Savior we have. In Him. Turn to Him this morning. In repentance and in faith. The Cintron's accident has reminded all of us how precious life is and how quickly it can be altered. We don't know that we have another moment when Jesus is going to pass by. There is an urgency to this right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Cry out for Him. I don't even want to give an altar call. It's just, listen, if you see, if He's passing by you right now, cry out. Who cares what anybody in this room thinks? Cry out and lay hold of Christ. And if somebody tries to stop you, move them out of your way and get to Him and cling to His feet and don't let them go until He blesses you with the healing and recovery of your Not just your physical eyes, but something more important. Your spiritual eyes to be open. The God of this age has blinded the eyes and the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But you know what? When He comes by, when He touches you, the veil is off, the eyes are open, and you see Jesus unlike you've never seen Him before. And you, friend, can be forgiven of all your sins the way this wretch has been forgiven of all his. And you can praise him the way this forgiven sinner praises him and all these forgiven sinners praise him. That's what marks our church. That's who we are. Forgiven sinners, saved by his amazing mercy, who delight, to give Him praise. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just thank You so much for Your amazing grace and Your steadfast love. Thank You for taking pity and stopping for us in this room. You didn't pass by, Jesus, and You would have been just as glorious to just keep on going and passing me by. So many times in my own life, God, I wasn't even calling out for you. I was actually faced in the other direction in the mud. And you stopped and put your hands on me. Lord, how can we thank you for being such a merciful God? How can we thank you for not coming to be served, but to serve. How can we thank you enough, Jesus, for paying the ransom price in order to set undeserving sinners like us free? Oh, Lord, words are not enough. (laughs) But we offer you our words of praise. And we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you. Holy Spirit, pour out more passion upon us for Christ. Cause us to rise up as Your people, and make us as Christ's community, a church where the people in this world around they see something different in here. They don't see a group of climbers who are ambition for pro- have ambition for prominence, but they see servants of God who are amazed that You would have stopped and had mercy on them, slaves who are joyful and happy to be slaves of the one true King in order to serve Him and His people. I pray for that, Almighty God. I pray that blessing down upon us. And more and more as the day of judgment approaches, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Jesus for how awesome He is? there was a, uh, a verse from Song of Solomon that, that affected me and I'll just quote it as you're on your way out It just, and lo, the winter is past winter is past and the rains are over and gone over and gone rise up my love, my fair one and come away brothers and sisters, look at this beautiful day out here the winter has turned into spring God has turned winter into spring and he is doing glorious things in our midst. Go forth rejoicing and enjoy the sunshine because God has made it so in our lives. Enjoy.